Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, the podcast where current and aspirational entrepreneurs can learn skills and get inspired to take their business to the next level. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is Adina Silverstein. Adina is the owner of Queenie's Pets in Philadelphia, and I'm very excited to have her on the show. Adina, welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm so happy to be with you. Me too. Me too. I've gotten to know you over the past, I guess, year or two, and um, have really admired the way you've run your business and grown your business, and I'm excited to hear all your secrets. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. So let's just start off. And why don't you tell us about, you know, take us way back to when you started. Why and how did you start your business in the first place? Sure. I, when I graduated college, I, you know, I've been passionate about animals since I was born, basically. And when I went through school, I just, I'm not a math science person. And I knew I couldn't be a veterinarian. And I was obsessed with animals. But I went through school, decided to become a teacher, and I taught for a year in the Teach for America program. After one year, which it's supposed to be a two-year program, I knew it was not for me. (laughs) And I left where I was teaching, which was in Louisiana, and I came to, quote-unquote, visit my mom back in Philadelphia. And when people heard that I was back in town, all of the people that I pet sat for when I was in high school heard that I was back and they said, oh, can you watch my dog? Can you cat sit for me, et cetera? So I was sort of doing that on the side, so to speak. And I got into the service business, you know, food service and was really moving up in the food service business. And I loved it. I love being of service. But I knew that food service ultimately wasn't my passion. And after several years of continuing to quote unquote, visit my mom in Philadelphia. Um, I, and, and build my so-called side business of pet sitting. I eventually realized that I was, I had a ton of pet sitting clients and I wanted to get out of food service. And I was hanging out with a friend who was a dog walker down in DC. And he said, you know, you can just make money as a dog walker. And I was like, get out of town. You know, no, you can't. And he said, I dare you. Well, I'm never one to turn down a dare. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually did. I gave my notice at the restaurant and I dove in. And at the time I had 23 side business clients that had kept me busy enough that I was like running late for my shifts at the restaurant. And I was always running around trying to fit everything in. And lo and behold, it just really took off. And in the first, by the time I got to three months, I had 60 clients. Wow. And it just, you know, it was word of mouth. It was given, you know, because this industry is very high touch, it's super personalized. You're in people's lives. You're in their homes. They want to hire someone they already know that they trust. And I had that name in my community, in essence, other than living a couple other places for school and and so forth, I had lived in this neighborhood since I was 11 years old. So people knew me or they knew my mom or I went to school with them. All these different personal connections really created this unspoken community. And I I didn't even realize that it would feed off of that, but it did. 
and which was very fortunate for me, of course, alongside with being highly professional and organized and trustworthy. So that was, that was how it got started. And I never expected that I would be an employer. I never expected that my company yeah. would be my life's blood. And here we are 13 years later. How did your um, parents, you know, you, you, so you went to school to become a teacher, which is a very safe career, very, you know, traditional. It, it comes with certain benefits like healthcare and a retirement plan and, and cool things like that. So how did your parents react to the um, fact that you evolved or came around to the idea of starting your own business and going into this realm of the unknown? <laughs> I, I love this question. Um, <laughs> I do because, you know, I think that first to clarify, I actually don't really know what I went to college for. <laughs> I created my own major. Um, it was anthropological linguistics and gender studies. So, right, most people would go, what on earth are you going to do with that? And my parents went, I know you're going to make something out of it. And so I have very supportive parents. I have parents who have trusted and believed in all of their children's potential for success. And I think that that is, for me personally, a key element and knowing that they will allow me to spread my own wings and create my own path. And I'm very fortunate for that. And so w when I graduated college, I was actually uh, the, the graduation speaker at my university. And the topic of my speech was creating our own paths. And I specifically spoke to the fact that we were a generation that weren't going to school necessarily to become a nurse, to become a lawyer, to become a teacher. We were going to school and we were going to figure it out. And um, that I was certain that the paths were wide open for us to figure out where we could go with these unusual degrees that we had pursued. So when I left school, I did this Teach for America program, which takes people who specifically aren't necessarily education majors and has them become teachers. So I didn't, I wasn't sure what path I was on. And I just knew I'm a person who puts myself into everything I do 110%. And I don't mean to sound egotistical or anything when I say this, but let anything stop me. I pursue the belief. And I think that this is really important for those who have entrepreneurship in their heart and in their blood. I know that if I believe in my own success, I will attain that success. And if I falter, I just try something else. So I wasn't afraid to traverse a new path. And again, I didn't really believe that one could be a super successful dog walker. I just thought, okay, well, I want to leave the restaurant industry and try something. And so I tried it, but I also believe in being a person of the highest integrity that you can, being a person of your word, doing what you say you're going to do and doing it with not just verve, but again, with integrity, making sure that you are following procedures, that you are following policies, that you are always doing everything according to your highest ethics. And I think that that's really the key. And that, to tie it back around to your original question, really brings me back to my parents because 
both of my parents taught me to operate in that manner. And my mom is a person who, you know, sometimes, sometimes my sisters and I make fun of her. Um, sorry, mom, if you're listening, but, um, (laughs) we make fun of her because she's such a rule follower and she's, she's always doing everything according to the way it's supposed to be done. And I think that that seeps through and, and I would never skimp. I would never cut corners and do anything that could potentially cause any harm or stress to animals. And then therefore that also makes me a person of the highest integrity with their human parents or, or my human clients. Oh, that's, that's a great answer. Thanks, Adina. It segues nicely, I think, into my next question. And um, you're, so you're based in Philadelphia and Philadelphia is kind of notoriously a difficult place to start a business from what I understand there's a lot of regulation and a lot of paths to navigate I guess yeah so was it like did you know that when you started or did you just kind of deal with it as you went because like I own a business and sometimes I think if I would have known all of the hurdles that I would be facing when I had started my business, I don't know that I would have done it because it would have seen, seemed impossible, you know, yet when you're in it, it's a little bit different. So did you find that also? Or? Well, another great question. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from someone who spent some time in Philly, clearly, or with Philadelphians. <laughs> so um, Philly is a, a, a notoriously difficult city to start a business uh, in which to start a business and or run or maintain a business. And I don't, I certainly did not know what I was up against when I started. For example, you need to prepay your taxes for the first two years. Well, how do you do that when you're in a startup, right? Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. It's nuts. That's awful. Oh my gosh. (laughs) How do you even know what they will be if you're in a startup? You, you, you don't, you get them estimated somehow. I, you know, I don't know the mathematics behind it and thankfully I'm not an accountant. So, (laughs) okay. But but, you know, I um, so you start so almost behind the eight ball and it, it is really difficult. We, we even have something here called the quote unquote business privilege tax, which is like the tax you pay for the privilege of doing business in this city. So that's a nice little joke amongst <laughs> us uh, business owners. So every Philadelphian, it's sort of like, you know, that that whole thing, like, I can talk about my mom, but you better not talk about my mom. Um, <laughs> it's sort of that thing where Philadelphians, we, we love to hate our own city, but we are so passionate about our own city and we love our own city that if someone else talks smack on our city, we are having no part of it. <laughs> and so we deal with the difficulties that, that it brings us, but we forge forward. Philadelphians are a a city of people who are not to be stopped and are very, very headstrong. And I love that about this city and it, and it fits me perfectly. So I think that no matter where you live, even if you live in a town that's the easiest town or municipality in the whole country to do business, you're still going to face things that you never expected you were going to face. And you're going to come up against things that would stop the ordinary person. And I think that's the true mark of who is an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur doesn't let themselves be stopped. And most entrepreneurs fail over and over and over and over and over again. And people always talk about, you know, did you, 
how many times do you think Michael Jordan shot at that hoop without getting a three pointer? And he just kept shooting and kept shooting and kept shooting and kept shooting. And eventually he became, you know, the best at it. And so you have to fail over and over and over again. And hopefully as an entrepreneur, they are little tiny failures. And I could, you know, <clears throat> probably do an entire interview on all of the places that I had my own miniature or medium-sized failures on the way to success. And I still have them. And I think that that's so vital for people to understand and know. When you're looking at someone who's extraordinarily successful, guess what? We talk about our successes publicly because we're not going to talk about our failures publicly because it doesn't make us look good and all of us want to look good. So I think anybody that knows me really well does know some of the bigger places that I have faltered. And now I specifically coach people around certain areas to make sure that they don't fail where I did or they don't falter where I did. So I work with people who Maybe they don't feel uh, where people just they, they are nervous around certain issues and they're worried about failure. And we talk through all of those areas and some of them are equated with the areas that I failed. And I love to be able to lift people up. Yeah, I love that. And and I have kind of the same experience in that I've made many mistakes and I would say I've made the small ones, the medium ones, and the large ones in my <laughs> business. But I really love working with entrepreneurs and helping them because a lot of times it is, because a lot of times you can help them avoid certain failures by sharing what happened in your own business or what you've seen happen. But to it's sometimes you just, as an entrepreneur, have to keep going. You know, you come up against hard stuff and you just have to keep going and, and eventually it does get better. And it can be hard to just keep going if you don't have good support. So I think you and I are kind of on the same page with wanting to help other people with that. But I wanted to ask you about your coaching. You started, my understanding is that you started working with owners of businesses kind of similar to yours in the pet services industries and have kind of have expanded out. And when we were talking prior to this interview you were explaining to me how those high-touch personal industries are kind of the same in many ways. And, and I would like you to speak a little bit about that and how, like, what kind of entrepreneurs you work with and, and the similarities across the board there. Yeah, absolutely. So I love working with people who are in my industry and obviously, you know, it's my own experience and my, my passion for my industry that had me decide to start a coaching practice. But what I started to see was these, these similarities across the board. You know, I would talk to colleagues in different networking circles who say had um, a fitness, you know, maybe they had a fitness facility or maybe they are, have a childcare facility or are doing personalized childcare in people's homes, which is almost exactly what we do, except our children have four feet. So I started to realize, first of all, all of us have really similar problems and sometimes hopefully the same successes. And it's really helpful to understand and know each other's resources as well. And so who I work 
with are all people in, and when we talk, we're talking about businesses where you are directly in people's lives. So you may be a personal industry, you may be high touch as say a hairdresser where you've got people coming in and while they're getting their hair done, they're telling you about their life and all that. That is fairly high touch, but it's not the same as when you are inside people's homes and getting involved in areas of their lives that you had no intention or idea that you would be involved in when you went into that business. So some of the people that I work with now, I work with someone who um, does in-home fitness. I work with someone who does remodeling and contracting uh, for people who have historic homes. So they're inside people's homes. And you would not believe, and you and I could sit and have coffee for days about the things that you end up learning about people or getting involved in their lives just when you are in their home to walk their dog. And you don't intend to know it, you don't intend to see it, but it's there. And so what ends up happening is you get involved in their lives way beyond just coming in, picking up a leash and walking their dog and coming back. And it doesn't mean that you are, you know, becoming their therapist or their best friend or, you know, that you're actually literally getting involved in those high touch areas. But it means that you're experiencing being in their lives. So when and I'll give you just a brief example, when we have a client who say we've been working with them for X number of years and we're walking their dog, everything's great. Then all of a sudden, we start to notice that there's a behavioral change in the dog. Maybe the dog is suddenly fearful, or maybe the dog is nervous on walks. And we might ask the client, hey, is there something happening? What's going on? Or maybe we just realize all of a sudden there's less furniture in the house, or there's, you know, some, the house normally was getting mail for two people, and suddenly there's only mail for one. And we come to find out that this couple's going through a divorce. Well, that deeply affects the dog and the dog is very emotional and understands the dog doesn't understand what divorce is, but they understand that, you know, dad or mom is no longer home and their behavior starts to change. So all of these things have interplay and that's just one small example, but you know, deaths or kids going off to college or moving, these affect dogs and cats really intensely. So those are the kind of folks that I work with, people who are really in people's lives. Now, of course, if they're not, I can still work with them, but that's where I'm passionate. The other reason that I'm super passionate about that is because my industry, along with, say, childcare, has often been seen as a business that, quote, anybody can do, right? Like a kid can put up a poster on a, a telephone pole saying, I'll walk your dog for $10. And it really denigrates the professional side of the industry. There's this idea that anybody can walk a dog. During the recent government shutdown, the, the government had the audacity to say, well, go out and walk dogs to make some money while you're waiting to go back to work. And it's really offensive to us because we, what we bring as professionals to the table is so vastly different. And those people, those clients or potential clients who understand the difference of hiring a professional versus hiring just anybody to walk their dog have a level of knowledge and a level of experience that's really different. And who we are as professionals is we are organized. 
We are insured. We are knowledgeable. My staff is pet CPR certified. They understand different behaviors and body languages, and they're always learning. And the same is true of a professional nanny or a professional, truly professional contract who's licensed and insured and so forth. So creating that difference and learning how to distinguish ourselves as true professionals in what either has been or might still be a cottage industry, that's my focus. I want everyone in the world to know what a professional pet caregiver is and a professional owner of any high-touch personal industry company is and really setting yourself apart with organizational systems and processes. So that's my specialty. Mm, that's that's wonderful, Adina, and, and so needed. Um, even my core business is video production and we face the same thing because mm. – people feel like anyone with a cell phone can make great videos. And, and certainly some people are talented and can make great videos with a cell phone, but there are, is a level of skill and training that goes well beyond most people's capabilities and patience levels. Right. And so <laughs> I feel like that's a story that we're continually having to tell and educate our clients, educate the public is, do you face a certain amount of that as well? Oh gosh. All the time. And, you know, one of the things that I work on with my coaching clients is learning how to hone and figure out who is your ideal client and how then to either sell to them or how to just have business come to you naturally once you've really honed your ideal client. So what we have honed is who we want to work with are people who already recognize the power of hiring a professional. And so we don't work, for example, with people who say, well, we're going to have you guys come every third day and in between my cousin's going to come in and feed the cat. No, we don't, we don't share caregiving responsibilities because that is just a nightmare. So having folks who aren't, it's not about saving money by, by cutting corners. Um, the folks who use us recognize that hiring a professional makes a tremendous difference. And so that's really when you recognize who your ideal client is and you can work with them and they come to you with the knowledge and appreciation of what it means to hire a professional, you're, you're one step ahead already. And so with that being said, Say we do, you know, we have a table at a local business fair or we have a table at community events. There's a lot of those conversations happening about why hire us and why hire a professional. And when we do maybe certain campaigns on social media, we are educating people who may not already be our clients or may not think that they want to be our client. And I always do tell people, you never know you need a dog walker until you need a dog walker. So we do, we do end up doing a lot of education in, in that way as well. Mm. Yeah, great answer. Thank you. So I want to slightly backtrack to where you were talking about the high-touch personal businesses and industries and how you inadvertently become intertwined with these people's lives just by the nature of your job. And one thing that we briefly talked about prior to this interview again is that people in your industry and in similar industries, business people, business owners have to learn how to 
separate business from personal. So, you know, it's as you become friendly with these your clients, it's it can be tempting to say, oh, I'll just take care of that thing and not charge you. You know, I'll just do that. <laughs> and as business owners, we can't do that because, you know, of course we're nice people and we want to help people, but we are also running a business. And so can you talk a little bit about that and how you coach people through setting up those boundaries? I think that, I think if I, if I had to go all the way back to the founding of my company and if I had the opportunity to have had a business coach at that time, if I knew that business coaches existed and someone gave me the advice, the number one thing that I wish someone would have told me is set your boundaries early and have them be hard and fast. You know, Vern Harnish, who wrote Scaling Up and um, The Rockefeller Habits, says that the ratio of yes to no should be one to 20, right? So for every time you say yes, you should say no 20 times. And so setting up boundaries is unbelievably important. And, you know, just one other, I think, famous quote is Warren Buffett, who I think all of us know is quite a successful man, uh, always said that the difference between successful people and highly successful people is the word no. Understanding that we as human beings are actually, we're made to understand and to want rules, whether we know it or not. So we may want to know that we love breaking rules, but we want to know what are the rules? What are the boundaries? What are the confines in which I'm supposed to operate? And when do I choose to go outside of them? So I set very hard and fast rules. My company does not do discounts. Plain and simple, it's done. And so I train my clients without having to say it. I just, we're just not a company. And so my whole staff is trained on how to speak about that if someone tries to haggle a, a price. And the reality is, is when, again, when you own a high touch business, the likelihood that not only are you going to have already existing friendships and, and friends and family who use your business, you're going to become friends with the people you service. If you were to give discounts to everyone that either asked for one or has a personal relationship with you, you'd be operating at a loss. So when people come on board with me, what I'll do for them is I decide what boundaries I want to break. So maybe, you know, we charge for the initial intake. So most companies in my industry don't do that. And if I coach you, I'm going to coach you to do that. <laughs> and so we charge for the initial intake. So maybe if they're my friend or my neighbor, I do that for free. And then the services are regular price. So you figure out what boundaries to set. You figure out what boundaries you either want to break or, or forgive a little bit. But you also let those friends and family members know that if they, if something works in the opposite direction, in other words, you're, you may not be giving them a discount, but you're also never going to treat them differently if they're unhappy with something in your service. They can come to you and say, hey, I don't like the way this happened, or I'm uncomfortable with this aspect of how you guys operate. So everything's a really open dialogue. And when I have a personal relationship with someone, I go through all of the normal steps with them. I do formal paperwork. And I'm not kidding when I say this, 
my mother, who is, of course, a client of mine, has a signed contract with my company. And that is my mom ever going to sue me? No. Am I ever going to sue my mom? No. But it's just because we just do things the way we do them and we operate the way we operate. And so if I skip that step, what else am I skipping with her? And she gets the same level of service that any client gets. And that's what's vital is that every single person who signs up to be a client of Queenie's Pets knows that I am going to treat them exactly the same way and that the expectations on both sides are the same. That's really cool, Adina, I think, because a lot of the things you're talking about, the systemizing of your business and the you know, really taking the time to make all the rules and set the rules, make sure your staff understands the rules. Those are the steps that are needed in order for a business not only to function well and grow, scale, but even to have value. You know, a lot of times one of the problems with service businesses is that the value is all about the business owner and the business is never sellable if you don't Mm. have all that stuff in place too. Yeah. And I think that that's, a really good point because for those people who are entrepreneurs who are thinking about what is their exit strategy and and that doesn't mean that you are getting towards the end of your say work working years it could mean that you built a business only in order to sell it so there's a lot of different reasons to know what your exit strategy is quite early on and understanding that a business without systems is not sellable, I think is a really excellent point. And especially high touch personal industry businesses are very hard to sell because it's hard to value. But when you have all of your systems in place, and again, I want your listeners to really understand that this is not something that happens overnight and that we are 13 years in and we are still honing certain processes or we are constantly rewriting them. And it's always a living, breathing, whether it's a document or, you know, whatever your system for, for tracking your processes is, it's always living and breathing and never something hard and steadfast because you're going to start using new technology or you're going to learn different skills and add that in. So knowing all of that now, my exit strategy is not to sell my business, but it is a sellable business. Right. And I, and I think that's really important when you have that foundation, you have options then, you know, whether it's expansion or sale or whatever it is, you are not in a corner with no choices, which a lot of business owners find themselves there if they fail to plan. I think, I, mean, I think that's an amazing point. I, I, and I would never have thought to think in that direction and um, and I appreciate you for bringing it up. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Well, Adina, I feel like we could talk forever. You have so much <laughs> to share. I can tell you are an excellent coach. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I will definitely share links to um, you know more information about you and your business and how people can get in touch with you about coaching because I think that would be a great service for my listeners. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up here? Well, I guess just to touch on, on what you just said about the coaching, what I, um, I do want to say that at the moment, my coaching website is very geared towards people in the pet industry. 
over and again, this is actually a great example of how businesses evolve and change and when you learn your different ability capabilities for growth. So that will be changing and and I will have a coaching website that's separate from my pet industry website, but right now they are tied in together. And I just would want your listeners to know and understand that really my focus is on business systems and processes, company culture and profitability. So even if they go onto my website and put through an inquiry, they will see a, a focus on the pet industry, but to please know that that's, they shouldn't be bound by that. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I, I just want everyone, not just that I work with, but I just want everyone to really know how powerful they are and how incredible of a business they can have if they stay focused and even more importantly, just work on having the highest level of integrity inside whatever industry they're in. So never overpromise and underdeliver. If if you have to underpromise and overdeliver and people will love you and just be a person of your word. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you very much, Adina. It was really lovely talking to you. I thank um, you. Very much Likewise. enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. I think you yeah. you get the you get the prize for some of the best questions I've ever been asked. So, Aww, thank you. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Thanks everybody for listening today. My guest was Adina Silberstein of Queenie's Pets in Philadelphia. Learn more about Adina and get links to her website and all of her social media on our website ellenbarton.com. Be sure to check that out and tune in again next week for another episode of the podcast that is designed to take your business to the next level. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our eBooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit, inspired actions, real results.